So this Friday is uh, my youngest son's birthday. He's going to be eight years old. So uh, feel free, maybe next Sunday, wish him a happy birthday. But what do kids love most about birthdays? Presents. Presents. He has had a list on his phone for a long time. Um, unfortunately, this year, his list has been fairly small and uh, high value. <laughs> this year, he wants a new phone. Uh, he wants cash. Um, and there was something else on there that was just like, you need to lower your expectations, kid. You need to just drop those right down. But you know what? When it comes to his birthday, it comes to Friday morning, there will absolutely be a pile of presents for him to open in the morning. Um, but we don't give him presents because we want him to behave. We don't give him presents because we want him to respect us and to honor us. We don't give him presents because we want to bribe him to love us. We give him presents because we love him. We give him presents because we love him. And you know, as sons and daughters of God, he wants to give us gifts because he loves us. He loves you and he loves me. And the Bible talks about a whole bunch of different gifts that God has got for us. But this morning on Coronation Weekend, I thought, let's look at the crowns that God has got for us. Joanne, why don't you just stand up and give everyone a, a glimpse of what you're wearing without even knowing. Look at this. Joanne's wearing her crown already. <laughs> We're going to talk about crowns this morning. You know, how great was it to see uh, just the central role of the Bible in the coronation service? You know, it was sung, it was prayed, it was read from, it was presented to our new king with these words. Let me just read this declaration that uh, was as the Bible was presented to him. We present you with this book, the most valuable thing this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this book, that keep and do the things contained in it. For these are the words of eternal life, able to make you wise and happy in this world, nay, wise unto salvation, and so happy forevermore, through faith which is in Christ Jesus, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. So powerful, so powerful. Why don't we just take a minute and pray for our new king, Father God, we just thank you uh, for this nation. Thank you for um, where you've positioned us. Um, and God, we thank you for our King, for King Charles III. And we just pray that you will bless him. I pray that you will bless him, that actually uh, you know the relationship between him and you. You know where his heart is with that. And I pray that um, the, the service yesterday, the two hours of Jesus' gospel being proclaimed in various ways, that no matter what the state of his heart, beginning that service, that actually he ended without a shadow of a doubt that you are his father, that he may be king of this nation, but that you are king of kings and lord of lords. And so, God, we pray that you would bless him, that you would keep him, that you would draw him to yourself in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So we are going to open this book that contains wisdom um, and, and look at it. But the New Testament describes five crowns. It describes five crowns that we as believers can look forward to as our reward for our faithfulness to God. A, a heavenly reward, if you like, for our earthly good works. But what we don't work for is our salvation. So I'm just going to preface that right here. 
We might work and, and earn some crowns and some various gifts and we talk about, you know, bigger palaces and bigger riches in heaven that we store up through our good works. But we don't work for our salvation. Our salvation is a free gift that is offered to us. All we need to do, like Gary said, we just need to say yes. We just need to accept it. But our response to that free gift should be in the way in which we live out our lives. And it's through that that we can receive and earn these these crowns. And so the first of these five crowns is the imperishable crown or the victory crown. And that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me just read to you this passage. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? So run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that won't last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. You know, we often describe uh, faith as a journey and that we're all on a journey. We're all moving towards a, a destination. But Paul here, he describes it as a race. He describes it as a race. And it's, it's not about speed. It's not about getting to the end the quickest. And it's not, about, uh, it's not about beating other people in this race. What he's saying, what he's talking about is, is discipline. He's talking about discipline and he's talking about self-control. You know, when I was in school, we used to do various kinds of sports, but the one that I hated the most was cross-country running. Oh, when they said it was cross-country running in those tiny little shorts on the, in winter, always in winter, and the rain was coming down and they were like, right, you've got to run around the whole school gardens, the whole school and they'd go up on, there was like some dunes that take you up, so you weren't even, ex, you weren't even hidden from the wind. You were up on the, on the heights, exposed to the wind and to the rain and to the elements. And, well, this is how it went for me. You got those keen runners, and they went off, and they set off, and they, they, sprint to the, they sprinted to the front, and they kind of kept the pace. And then those of us who were less enthusiastic, we were kind of hanging out at the back. But we'd kind of put on a bit of a show for the teacher as we left the, the, the um, changing rooms, you know, and then once we got round the corner and out of sight of the teacher, well, then we were walking. And we were just walking until we came back into sight of another teacher. And then we'd, you know, pick up the pace and pretend like we'd been going all along. And, and that's kind of how it went for me. But, you know, if, if you're going to run the race properly, you've got to have a bit of discipline. You've got to have a bit of self-control. You've maybe got to do a little bit of training. You've got to put the work in. You've got to put the effort in if you're going to run this race well. And so Paul is talking here about that. He's saying we've got to train ourselves. We've got to have some discipline in place. We've got to have some self-control that doesn't allow us to go, oh, I'm out of sight now. I can just slow the pace right down and begin to just walk along for a little bit, maybe stop and have a chat. No, we've got to, we've got to keep running. But we've got to prepare ourselves in order to do that. We've got, to, we've got to train our bodies through reading the word, through spending time in prayer. We've got to do all of this stuff in order to run the race well. You know, as followers of Christ, 
There's a standard that God sets. There's a standard of, of how we should be living our lives. And it's a standard that, that actually we can never meet on our own. And I, for one, I'm glad that we don't have to. But we don't have to do it on our own because Jesus did it for us. But that is not an excuse to not try. That's not an excuse for us to sit back and think, well, it's okay. Jesus did it all for us. I don't need to put in the work. I don't need to put in the effort. We've got to do it. We've got to do it. You know, about eight years ago, my brother and I, for whatever reason, decided we'd do a triathlon. And, you know, I feel like I've already summed up the state of my, you know, physicality. But we decided we were going to do this triathlon. And so I was like, well, you can't just rock up on the day and, and just hope it goes okay. You're going to have to do some work here. We're going to have to put in some time and some effort. And so I was down the pool doing my laps and I, I borrowed a bike because I didn't have a bike. So I could do some, some training on the bike. And I went for a run. And I went for a run. And I went for a, I did couch to 5K to get to a place where I was actually able to get across the finish line without passing out. But, you know, we went through these, these weeks of training and then the day came of the race. The day came of the race. And, you know, we both, my brother and I, we had uh, different preferences. So I was quite, I'm quite a strong swimmer. So uh, that was where my forte was. He was a better cycler. We were both rubbish at running. So that, that wasn't going to work out. But race day came and you start in the pool. And so we, we set off at the same time and I kind of, you know, lapped him a little bit. And I was out of the pool first and changed into my cycling gear and on my bike. And he quickly caught me up because he was faster on the bike. And uh, we kind of kept pace a little bit on the bike. And then, then the running came. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen people doing it. It wasn't even a full triathlon. I'll just be honest from the beginning. It was like a half triathlon. So we, you know, it was, it was very short in comparison to what they, they do properly but by the time it came to the run we were exhausted and then there was five kilometers of running ahead of us and I'm not kidding it was not uh, an enjoyable thought to think that's what's coming up but we did it and we we kept pace together and and there was something about so I remember at the finish line it was in St. Anne's so the finish line kind of took us around where the, the pitch and put golf course is and then back round to where the play area is. And that was like the, the home straight. And we could see the finish line ahead of us. And there were crowds of people at the sides, which was amazing. And they were all cheering us on and clapping and applauding. And, and something within us kind of said, all right, we can finish this race well. Let's sprint across the finish line. And out of nowhere came this kind of burst of energy. And we sprinted across the finish line and we were kind of rejoicing and celebrating that we'd, we'd achieved this thing and we finished together. So the timing was, you know, we were even. There was no one of us had beat the other. It was just, it was a really nice thing. But the thing that kind of, that helped me the most in that last few yards was because I wasn't on my own. Not only did I have my brother that we were keeping pace together and we were kind of encouraging one another to get across the finish line, we also had crowds of people around us cheering us on and whooping for us. And they didn't even know us, but they were like, come on, you can do it. And it was just so amazing. And that's, about, that's similar to the race that we have that Paul is talking about here. Because we're not running this race on our own. Just look around for a minute. Even in this very room, there are others running this race with you and cheering you on and helping you to keep the pace. When you're kind of lagging behind a bit, there'll be someone next to you that can say, come on, let's pick up the pace. Let's try harder. Pick yourself back up. Let's keep on going on this race. We're not alone. 
We're not alone. And we're not trying to outdo each other. It's not like give them a little nudge and hope they fall over and we can sprint onto the finish line. We're doing this together. We're doing this together. We're supporting each other. That is how this race is supposed to be. We're in this together to help each other, to encourage one another, to pray for each other, to sharpen each other. The Bible talks about us sharpening one another, to you know, bring correction where correction needs to be brought, to maybe bring a bit of discipline and accountability. We're there to teach each other, to train each other, to love each other. We are on this race together and we're stronger when we do it together. So let's run this race well with our brothers and sisters. Not trying to do it on our own. Not thinking we'll be okay without anyone else by our side. Let's do this with one another and let's do it with discipline. Let's approach this race knowing that it's going to be a challenge. And so disciplining ourselves and and having self-control so that we can receive our victory crown. A crown that won't fade away, but a crown that will last forever. And so the second crown is the crown of rejoicing. And it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Who's Paul talking about here in this passage? Who is he talking to? He's talking to these new believers. He's writing to this church that he planted in Thessalonica. We have so much to rejoice about, don't we? We have so much that we can be rejoicing about, that we can be thankful for. And in this letter, in his letter to Philippians, sorry, Paul encourages us to rejoice in the Lord always, he says. Because we've got so much to rejoice about. Even when we look at our life and think it's rubbish, we've still got plenty to be rejoicing about. And so Paul encourages us, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. But do you know where the greatest rejoicing comes? Where the greatest joy comes? It's when someone comes to know Jesus. It's when someone finds salvation. It says in Luke chapter 15, There is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Do you know, God rejoices when we run our race well. He loves it when we are living our lives in honor to him. But there is a full-on party celebration in heaven every time someone gives their life to God. It's what God longs for the most, above everything else, that his people, that his creation would come into relationship with him, would find their hope and their salvation in Jesus. And we've all got a role to play in that. Each and every one of us have got a part to play in doing that. And not all of us are evangelists. I certainly am not. That is a gift that is given to some and not others. But that doesn't mean that if we don't claim that we are evangelists, that we don't have to tell people about Jesus. We all have to do that. That is something that each and every one of us have to be doing. You know, we have got opportunity on opportunity to point people to Jesus 
the way the disciples did. Let me just read to you a bit from John chapter 1. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, that's John the Baptist, looked at Jesus and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. And when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Andrew, this is later on in the same chapter, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of, the, one of these men who heard what John said. And then he followed Jesus. And Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah. And then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. So what we see here, right at the beginning, before Jesus had even started his ministry, John the Baptist pointed Andrew to Jesus. There he is. There is the Messiah, the Lamb of God. And then Andrew, having heard that and begun to follow Jesus, he then went and got Peter. And he introduced Peter to Jesus. And later in that chapter, we see that Philip also, he introduces Nathaniel. And so there's this kind of consistent example of people who are following Jesus, who have found hope and life in him, that don't want to keep it to themselves, but that go and tell their friends and their loved ones, look, look what I found. Come and meet Jesus. Come and meet Jesus. And I love what it says about Andrew. It says he brought Simon to meet Jesus. He brought Simon to meet Jesus. Now church on a Sunday is not the be all and end all of our faith. But this is a great and regular opportunity for people to hear the good news about Jesus. And so if you don't feel comfortable necessarily preaching to people, what you can do is be an Andrew and just bring them to meet Jesus. Just bring them to church on a Sunday and let them sit there and be exposed to the good news of God. It's a great thing to hear. It's the best news that anyone can receive. So why would we not be a part of telling people and introducing people to Jesus? The former Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, he wrote a commentary on John's Gospel. And when he came to these words and Andrew brought Simon to Jesus, he wrote this. He said, this is the greatest service one person can do for another. This is the very best thing that you can do for someone else. Bring them to Jesus. Above anything else. You know, we can go out of our way to cook meals for people, to help people across the road, to pray for people, all of that stuff. But the best thing that we can do is to bring them to Jesus. Is to bring them to Jesus. Nicky Gumbel commented, Simon Peter went on to be one of the most significant influences in the history of Christianity. You and I may not be able to do what Peter did, but we can do what his brother Andrew did. We can bring someone to Jesus. Or like Philip, we can say, come and see to our friends and to our family and to our colleagues. We can be a part of God's plan so that people can hear about and respond to Jesus as we invite them, come and see. Come and see. You know, there's nothing more exciting than being involved in the ministry of Jesus. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to do this, but by his grace, he chooses 
to use us as part of his plan. To choose, he chooses to involve us in this so that we can bring people to Jesus. What did the woman at the well do after she'd had an encounter with Jesus? The first thing that she did is she went and told people about, come and see, she said. That was her words. Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. She didn't go and preach to them. Maybe she didn't feel confident in that. She'd only just heard about Jesus. But what she did feel comfortable, come and see. Let me bring you to him. So maybe we take that this morning as an encouragement of, of what we could be doing for God. Let's bring people to him. Because when we bring people to Jesus, they will encounter him. And when you encounter Jesus, your life is changed forever. And there is rejoicing in heaven. There is rejoicing in heaven. So that's the crown of rejoicing. Crown number three is the crown of righteousness. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. So righteousness is just being right in God's eyes. It's, it's appearing right in his eyes. And it's not something that we can achieve by our own, by our own goodness, by our own efforts, but by God's perfect love. As we've already said, Jesus did it for us. He paid the price so that we can be made righteous as followers of him. But righteousness is still something we should be pursuing. It's still something that we should be intentional about living out in our lives. Matthew 6 says, doesn't he? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. 1 Timothy 6, pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith and love and perseverance and gentleness. We need to be pursuing and running after and living a life of righteousness, living a life that is honoring to God in everything that we say, in everything that we think, in everything that we do as we look forward to Christ's return. You know, you can buy t-shirts with uh, slogans on them that say, Jesus is coming, look busy. <laughs> and it's just a bit of fun, but actually there's some truth in that because, you know, Jesus tells a parable, doesn't he, about uh, a man who goes on a journey and he leaves some servants in charge of his household and his estate. And so he goes off on his journey and he's appointed some guys to, to do various jobs and he appoints someone to, to guard the door. And Jesus says, as part of this parable, he says, stay awake, keep watch, for you, you don't know when the master of the household will return. It could be in the evening or at midnight or before dawn or at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. Jesus is coming. We better look busy. We're not just look busy. We better actually be doing the things of God. We need to be living out a life as if he's coming tomorrow. Because if Jesus is coming tomorrow, then that means a whole lot of people need to know about Jesus before tomorrow. So we need to get busy. We need to get busy. We can't just sit back and think, ah, one day he'll come back. 
We don't know when he's coming back. We might look at the state of the world today and think we are seeing signs of the end times, and I believe we are, but we still don't know the day or the hour that he is going to return. And so let's live as if he's coming back tomorrow. Let's love like he's coming back tomorrow. Let's bring people to Jesus like he's coming back tomorrow. We need to be eagerly expecting his return. And that means living like it. That means living like it. Not taking our time, not chilling out, not thinking we've got time for a brew. But actually, if he might come tomorrow, we better get out there and start loving on people and start bringing people to Jesus. So we need to be pursuing righteousness, living a life of love and of faith and of perseverance. Are we eagerly expecting his return? Are we living in anticipation of the day that our Savior arrives back on this earth? Because there's a crown for all who are living like that. The crown of righteousness. Crown number four is the crown of glory and honor. Are you still with me? The crown of glory and honor. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. And Peter here, he's talking to the elders of the church, to pastors, to teachers, to leaders. And there's an encouragement here to stay the course. Because any of you who have ever served in, in that kind of capacity will know that these positions, they don't just come with authority. They don't just come with responsibility. They carry a weight to them. They carry a real weight. They come with challenges that, that others will not understand. And so as part of this passage, Peter says, he says, I am a witness to Christ's sufferings. And he's not belittling here what Jesus went through. He's not making light of the things that Jesus uh, suffered during his time on earth. But he's acknowledging that there is pain in leadership. That there is pain in leadership. But the ugliness of our circumstance is never an indication of whether God's glory is there. God's glory is always there. It's always there. But he is calling those people who have been put in position of authority, in position of leadership within the church. He's saying you've got to, got to keep on keeping on. You've got to stay the course. You've got to not allow those challenges and those struggles to, to knock you sideways, but to pick yourself up when that happens and to, to carry on, to, to press on. Because God's glory doesn't disappear when you face those challenges. God's glory is always there. It is constant. You know, it, it, in Acts 7, Stephen, it says, was stoned to death because of living his life for Christ. Here is a man who was just running his race well. He was pursuing righteousness in the way he lived his life. And he was stoned to death. But in that moment, the Bible says that being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed steadily into heaven and he saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Yes, Stephen suffered and he, he died for the gospel, but he got to see a revealing of God's glory in that moment. 
And you know, the name Stephen, it means crown. And so actually his whole life, Stephen's name was a prophetic symbol of the crown of glory that he was going to see and receive through Christ because he stayed the course. Because he didn't allow the pressures of this world to to oppress him and to hold him back from living his life in faithfulness. But he stayed the course. He kept on pursuing God, pursuing righteousness, and he received his crown of glory. You know, it's important for us to recognize that we ourselves are not worthy of glory. We're not worthy of God's glory. Only God is glorified, but his glory is like the mark of honor for us as believers because we're his. And so the more we look to him, the more we seek first the kingdom of righteousness, the more we put him first in all things, the more we keep on going even when times get tough, the more we can understand just how glorious he is. And then the fifth and final crown is the crown of life. It says in Revelation chapter 2, Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You'll suffer for 10 days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. I will give you the crown of life. You know, we talked about this a bit when we closed out our Beatitudes series that each and every one of us who who calls ourselves a follower of Christ, we will at some point, in some way or another, face persecution. But the call here is for us to remain faithful. Faithful in the face of criticism. Faithful when people tell lies about us. Faithful when gossip is going on about us. Faithful to speak out when the world is trying to silence us and to shut us down. Faithful through it all. And in doing that, the promise is we will receive the crown of life. We will receive the crown of life. And John 10.10 says that the thief comes to steal, steal and kill and destroy But I came that they might have life and life abundantly. That is the promise that is for each and every one of us as followers of Christ. That if we live out a life that is honoring to God, if we run our race well, if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, if we pursue righteousness, if we don't allow the pressures of this world to knock us sideways, but we keep on keeping on through it all, that we will receive the crown of life, and that is life abundantly. We know that our life here on earth is is temporary, but we have this amazing promise that comes to us as followers of Christ, that in him, in him, we can have eternal life. We can have eternal life. And so there's these five crowns the imperishable crown, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory and the crown of life. These crowns, they are our inheritance. 
They're our reward of, for being faithful as we look to follow the example that Jesus laid out during his life and his ministry here on earth. But I love this, that in John's vision of heaven that we read about in the book of Revelation, he saw the elders with their crowns. But they weren't holding on to their crowns. They weren't gripping tightly to these crowns that they had received because of their life on earth. But instead, it says, they took off their crowns and they cast them at the feet of Jesus as they fell down in worship to him. And that's what we'll do, I believe, when we get to heaven. Because we will receive our reward. We will receive the crowns for the the way in which we have lived out our life. But I don't believe that when we get to heaven, we will hoard up our heavenly wealth. That we will keep hold of our crowns because look how amazing I look in my crown. No, what we'll do is we'll take off our crowns and we will lay them down at the feet of Jesus as we fall on our knees in worship of him. Why? Because he is the God of glory. Because he deserves everything. He is creator God and he deserves all of the honor and all of the glory. And so we cast our crowns before him as an acknowledgement that ultimately God alone is worthy of praise. That we don't even deserve these rewards that we have been given because we only got them through him. And so let's just give them back to him. We cast our crowns at his feet because he deserves it all. But do you know what? It wouldn't surprise me that as we take off our crowns and we lay them at the feet of Jesus because we're worshipping and glorifying and magnifying him, that he picks it straight back up again and puts it on our heads because that's how much he loves us. That's how much he loves us. That he says, yeah, I I thank you for your worship. But you deserve this crown. Because you're my son. Because you're my daughter. And then we'll take it off. And we'll put it down at his feet and say, no, you alone are worthy. You alone are worthy. You know, on the 14th of November, 1948, at 9.14 p.m., King Charles III was born in Buckingham Palace. He was born the first son of Queen Elizabeth II, and he was born as heir to the throne. But Jesus, he wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't born into wealth, but he was born to become king. He was born to become king. Not the king just of this nation, but the king of kings. And what about you and I? How were we born? Anyone here born into royalty? No, we were born into sin. Like Gary shared as we took communion together, we were born into sin. That is our inheritance. Until the moment that we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And then what happens? Then what happens is we are born again. No longer born into sin, but born as sons and daughters of God. Born into a heavenly inheritance. 
We are born again into this. It says in Ephesians 2, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you, that I have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. The Passion Translation says, so now we are co-seated as heirs, one with Christ. That is our inheritance when we are born again, when we give our life to Jesus. That is our inheritance. No longer are we born to sin. No longer are we born to death, but we are born to life. And we are born to life abundantly. And we are born to receive all the rewards and the blessings that heaven has to offer. And so this morning, as we've just talked through these these five crowns that just represent some of the, the blessings and the rewards that heaven has to offer, will we once again just remind ourselves of our inheritance? Of our inheritance. Of who we were born to be. Why don't we pray? Yeah, Father God, we just thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy, for your favor over our lives. God, I acknowledge again that that when I was born physically into this world, I was born into sin. I was born into death. But as I encountered you, as someone brought me to you, that I was transformed, that I was born again, no longer born into sin, but born into righteousness, born into glory, born into eternal life, abundant life. And so this morning, I pray for anyone here that doesn't know you, that that finds themselves thinking, well, is that true? Am I born into death? Am I born into sin? I don't want that for my life. And so I want to just give an opportunity now that if that's you and, and you actually want to receive this crown of, of life, then I want to pray for you. Father God, I just pray for anyone in this room that's feeling like that, that, that this moment would be the moment that they say, come into my life. Become my king. Become my Lord. Become my saviour. I'm sorry that I've messed up. I'm sorry that I've made mistakes. But right now I hand my life over to you. That you may be king of my life. That you may lead me and guide me wherever I may go. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just keep praying for a minute. If that was you, if you prayed that prayer, why don't you just shoot up your hand right now so I can be praying for you over this week. And so, God, we just thank you for our salvation. We thank you that you are king over our lives. And once again, we just lay down, we lay down our crowns before you. You deserve all the honor. You deserve all the glory. Any rewards, any blessings, any talents, any skills, anything that we have, we only have it because of you. And so we lay it down before you once again in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.